0: on to my mommy's
1: podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Thrive Market, a company I have personally loved for years and that continues to just get better and better. I use their free app all the time to order my pantry staples and to order products from companies that I love. And I always turn to their Thrive Market brand for even better discounts. Here's a tip. Use the app like you would use a shopping list. Add things as you think of them or as you run out or as you meal plan. Then, once you hit the threshold to get free shipping, your order will be ready to go. And here's another secret. Thrive often runs free gift with purchase offers just for members as a thank you. So keep an eye out for those and take advantage of ordering when it's something that you like. I usually choose to order on days when there's a gift I love, when I've already reached the free shipping threshold, and I've gotten some awesome free products over the years by doing this. You can find out more about all of these and get an extra discount if it's your first order by going to thrivemarket.com forward slash Katie. Again, that's thrivemarket.com
0: forward slash Katie. This podcast is brought to you by Juve red light therapy. I've written about red light therapy before and how it supports the body and even helps skin look more supple and youthful. Juve is part of my daily routine and I love that during this relaxing 20 minute ritual, I'm getting a mood boost while supporting collagen and elastin production, improving fat metabolism, assisting with the body's detoxification reactions and boosting cellular energy. Here's how it does all of that. Just like plants convert light energy into chemical energy via photosynthesis, our bodies have the ability to metabolize red and near infrared light into a form of cellular energy adenosine triphosphate, also called ATP, that's essential for restoring, repairing, energizing, and maintaining our bodies. I have and use a combination juve light, which has two wavelengths for double the benefits, 660 nanometers for red light and 850 nanometers for near-infrared light. Both were chosen because the majority of the scientific literature centers on their benefits and you can get them separately or together. The 660 nanometer range is better for collagen production and other skin benefits, while the 850 is better for deep tissue issues like muscle recovery, joint discomfort, that kind of stuff. They now have a Juve Go, which is just as powerful as the larger Juve devices, but it fits in the palm of your hand. This smaller, less expensive model can even travel with you for a quick collagen boost for your face or inflammation support in a sore joint. To learn more and get your own Juve Lite, Go to juve.com forward slash wellnessmama and they'll also send along a special gift. That's J-O-O-V-V dot com forward slash wellnessmama.
1: Hello and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I'm Katie from com, and I am here with someone I love dearly. She is a friend and also one of the smartest people I know. Dr. Jolene Brighton is a functional medicine naturopathic medical doctor and the founder of Rubus Health, which is a women's medicine clinic that specializes in hormones. She's recognized as a leading expert in post-birth control syndrome, which we're going to delve into today, and the long-term side effects associated with hormonal contraceptives. Dr. Brighton is the author of Ditch the Pill, a 30-day plan to support women on birth control, help them transition off, and eliminate symptoms of post-birth control syndrome. She's also a speaker, a women's health advocate, and a medical advisor for one of the first data-driven apps to offer women personalized birth control recommendations. Dr. Jolene, welcome, and thanks for being here.
2: Hey there. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to get a chance to speak with you and your tribe today. I'm so excited, and I
1: think this is such an important topic, and one that doesn't get talked about often, or at least not as much as it should, because it tends to get tied in with the conversation of women having options and rights, and what we're going to talk about today is the medical side and what's happening physiologically. So to start off, I'd love to just kind of define the problem. So how many women are currently on the pill for non-contraceptive reasons, using it primarily um, for something else versus those who are on it to prevent pregnancy?
2: Yeah. So, what we know currently from the current statistics is there's about a hundred million women worldwide using hormonal birth control, and within the United States, where you and I are sitting, that that number is about eleven million um, currently. And so, when we look at okay, we've got about a hundred million in the world, eleven million in the United States, we can you know come to understand that based on surveys that have been done women using hormonal birth control, about 60 and sometimes as high as 65% estimates have been are stating their number one reason is for symptoms and not for pregnancy prevention, which is kind of mind blowing when you think about, you know, in our arena, we, we know about root cause medicine. We know like there's so many ways to balance your hormones and things that women can do yet. The pill is the number one go-to. And I just say for the fill in the blank lady problems. So, you know, whether that's, Heavy periods, painful periods, um, mood swings, having PMS—you know—it's usually the birth control pill that is passed to a woman as the first, you know, intervention without any question as to why. So, you know, we're looking at anywhere from sixty to sixty-five percent of women on it for non-contraceptive reasons.
1: Wow, that is staggering. And like I know you and I have talked about it in person, that's kind of sad when you think about the fact that we don't have hormonal problems because of a lack of birth control or artificial hormones. And so from that perspective, like physiologically, what's going on with hormonal contraceptives? Like how do they work in the body and what's that mechanism?
2: Yeah, that's a great question because so many of my patients, when I go through like, okay, this is how it works. That's why we are having symptoms of post birth control syndrome. It's like the first time that a doctor had ever explained to them how birth control works. And you know, I I want to preface this conversation with like, I am not anti birth control by any means. I did the pill for 10 years. But sure, I really wish I would have been told some of these things. And definitely, I wish someone would have told me how it actually worked. So the way so for the pill, for instance, the way that the pill works is that you take this bolus of hormones, so a high dose of hormones, and granted, it's not as high as you know, what the original pill was formulated to be, but it's high enough that it tells your brain, there's more than enough hormones and there's no reason to tell the ovaries to make hormones so in effect it is shutting down the way your brain and your ovaries are communicating to one another and so in doing that i mean it makes sense like if you are shutting down an entire reproductive system so you, if you shut down an entire system of your body you expect that other systems are going not only to have to compensate but are going to have feel the effects of that as well and then when you look at things like, you know, the IUD, for example. So like the copper IUD is creating inflammation. It's toxic to sperm. It's not inhibiting um, ovulation. And then there's something like the Marina IUD that sometimes inhibits ov- ovulation, but not all the time. And it's actually changing cervical mucus and it's changing how the uterine environment is, so that if you do become pregnant, that the egg doesn't implant. But you know, by far the number one hormonal contraceptive that women are using is the pill. And that's why I talk about it so much because, you know, things like Depo and the implant, like they have their own side effects for sure. And a lot of them, you know, they mirror what we see with uh, the pill, but the pill is by far like the number one that women have used at some point in their life. And again, like I said, it's going to be like the drug of choice, so to speak, for whatever female problem you're presenting with to your gynecologist or your primary care provider.
1: Yeah, that's so shocking because, at least in the marketing I've seen, the pill is marketed as this totally safe, wonderful thing that doesn't really have side effects. Or if they mention them, it's very small print or very quickly at the end of an ad. And they don't really talk about, from my understanding at least, these the the hormones in the pill are pretty drastic and they do really have an impact on the body so can you go deep on that like what are some of the things that a woman might experience from the pill that her doctor may not tell her about
2: yeah totally and let's just like for a second speak to the fact that like this is really good marketing that they do. And it's so often that with advertising, and even within your doctor's office, these side effects are often dismissed, if they're even discussed, you know, depending on how old you are, they may not tell you about the risk of stroke, heart attack or cancer, like if they're giving it to a 16-year-old girl, statistically speaking, she's unlikely to have a stroke unless, you know, she happens to have a genetic variation or a family history and these other factors that could lead to that. But, you know, the way it's really viewed is that the threat of pregnancy is so great and it's so scary and it's something that every woman should you know, be avoiding that these side effects don't matter as much. And clinically, they do matter. And as a woman, I'm like, yeah, they definitely matter. And so, you know, some of the things that we can see is on hormonal birth control women can start to develop, you know, an array of symptoms. So how how, how does this happen? So hormonal birth control disrupts the microbiome and induces a state of leaky gut, which is recognized in medicine as intestinal hyperpermeability, which we know sets the scene for autoimmune disease. And the studies go back and forth on autoimmunity, certain autoimmune conditions you're at higher risk for when you're on hormonal birth control. Others, there's conflicting data. Um, myself and other experts have certainly seen birth control being the triggering event for women developing autoimmune disease. So if you have a family history of this, this is important conversation to have with your doctor. Now, hormonal birth control also depletes nutrients, and if you're depleting nutrients, that alone can lead to thyroid issues, to adrenal issues, to you know other symptoms of hormone imbalance, and then certainly mood symptoms like anxiety and depression. We have large studies now that show a correlation between birth control and depression, and this was something that was dismissed and still gets dismissed at a really high rate. And it's something that I always frame to my patients of like, look, we don't always need a study to tell us causation. We can stand back and we look and look at normal physiological function. And so, uh, you know, for instance, birth control uh, studies have shown that women need higher levels of tryptophan while they're on it. That is how we make serotonin, a happy neurotransmitter. Birth control also depletes B6. Without that, you can't make serotonin based on that alone it's easy to see how it could impact your mood so anxiety depression panic attacks mood swings these are common symptoms that i see in my clinical practice and i'm sure any woman who's been on hormonal birth control is nodding her head right now cuz the other you know the other aspect of hormonal birth control is that it's inflammatory as well. And so it's inflammatory in the sense of how it affects your gut, but also it's impacting your liver. So we have to detox through our liver. It's also how we absorb nutrients, regulate blood sugar. And we know that since the introduction of hormonal birth control, we've diagnosed women in medicine with liver tumors at a much higher rate. Now, these are benign liver tumors, but they're liver tumors nonetheless. And that's a part of your organ you can't utilize. And in addition to that, it's depleting nutrients that run your detox pathways. So if that is going on alone, we're going to we can see things like acne, hair loss, um, weird rashes, blood sugar imbalances, and then we layer on that inflammatory component. Now we've got adrenal issues. And you know, one population. i Really, I take issue in using birth control as a band aid to every woman without a question of why. Like if you're a woman and you're like. I don't really care about any of this, and I understand the information, and I'm choosing to be on the pill because I don't want to deal with my periods. That's 100% your choice. And as a physician, it's my job to support you in that choice. However, you know, uh, populations like women with PCOS, endometriosis, thyroid disease. They're often given the pill. So thyroid disease, for example, can present with irregular periods or periods that just don't quit. And the doctor will say, well, here's birth control pill. Great, I fixed your period problem. Except now this woman has a thyroid disease. It's progressing. You just delayed her diagnosis and for her getting pr- proper treatment. In the, so to go back to the population, I really take issue with um, in giving the pill without discussion of any of these things is women with PCOS. No. Women with PCOS have hormone imbalance. So polycystic ovarian syndrome is PCOS. They will get hair on their chin, chest, and abdomen or lose hair on their head. Nobody likes any of that. They end up with acne. Um, Their periods are irregular. They have infertility issues. These are all hormonal symptoms. However, it's rooted in insulin dysregulation, blood sugar imbalances, and inflammation. So the, you know, to me, as a doctor, I'm like, okay, hold up. So the root cause of PCOS, and then there's also studies starting to point to uh, gut dysbiosis, so imbalance in the flora in your gut, the good gut bugs. So if a woman with PCOS is already having blood sugar issues, she already has inflammation, her microbiome may already be skewed. She's already at higher risk for stroke and heart attack. Then why are we giving her a medication that also causes you know, increased risk for stroke? heart attack and the development of diabetes and this is a big thing that uh, most doctors don't realize is that hormonal birth control actually can cause a, a you know a level of insulin resistance you know similar to what we see in pregnancy which is you know helping baby get enough blood sugar but you know that's a transient period of time and I, I really hate when I hear doctors make the argument of like well, it's no more of a risk than if you're pregnant. And it's like, well, okay, slow your roll with that. Because I don't know anybody who's pregnant for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And these contraceptives were ne- never designed nor studied to be given to women for decades on end. So, you know, I'm painting a picture here of, of being, a, you know, this hormonal birth control being pretty bad. And, you know, in, in truth, like I, there's still days that I'm going into the research and my jaw is dropping by just the things that my doctor didn't tell me and really, you know, I think that in this day and age, like, uh, you know, we have access to information, and we can access, access so many sources of information, but we also have so much more data. And when I say data, it's not just about the studies coming out, but it's the fact that, you know, we're. This is a very unique time in history where we are actually seeing women who've been put on hormonal birth control for decades at a time. And so this is something why I hypothesize why you know, millennial generation is actually rejecting hormonal birth control at the highest rate of any generation we've seen. And I re- truly believe it's because of the women who went before them. The women who did go on hormonal birth control, they saw these side effects, they saw what happened to them and, you know, they, they've chosen to do better. And it's really something that's part of my mission is like, let's educate women so that they can do better. And, you know, I also want to say that, you know, we get dismissed in women's medicine, like a whole lot. And I say, we, as women, we see this all the time, especially in pain, period pain is no exception where we're often told symptoms are all in our head and things are not real. And the reality is, is that if you understand All of the ways that hormonal birth control really impacts your health, like it's affecting every system in your body, it's pretty easy to see how breaking up with it, you know, deciding to ditch that pill uh, can come with a whole lot of other symptoms and trouble of of its own.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think one word you said was so key. You called the pill a medication, which it is, but I don't think most people think of it that way. And if you take that to its logical end, it's a medication that you're using to treat fertility in its intended use, at least. And the problem is fertility is not a disease. And certainly it can be managed. And I'm not saying we should all be pregnant all the time. And like you mentioned, most women are not even on it for that. They're taking it, for acne or for cramps or for irregular periods, which is not exactly what it was designed for. And it's not the medication that's fixing that problem. It's just masking it, like you said. And I know I've seen friends kind of go through this horrible cascade where they start on the pill and then it leads to eventually all these other medications as well. Can you speak to that?
2: Oh, yeah, totally. And this is something that um, I think women also need to recognize that the introduction of the birth control pill was the first time that a pharmaceutical came on the market that could be given to someone who didn't have a diagnosis or a disease. So um, this this is very revolutionary. Now it's been absolutely instrumental and revolutionary in moving women's rights forward. Absolutely, we graduate college at higher rates, but it is a medication, and people forget this that it's it's absolutely a medication, and it's something that. Is you know suppressing your hormones and, and is affecting every system and like many medications. I mean every medication has a side effect and with this medication in particular, side effects can look like things like um, having you know gut issues. So now you're developing SIBO or IBS and you're getting these other you know another diagnosis and so your doctor then is putting you maybe a GERD so uh, heartburn you know having reflux. Very common when women are on hormonal birth control, and that has to do with a whole cascade of how it actually affects your thyroid, affects your liver, affects your gallbladder, and the whole motility of the gut. And so then they might end up on a proton pump inhibitor. So now they're on a proton pump inhibitor and in birth control. Birth control depletes nutrients. Proton pumps inhibitors inhibit you from developing nutrients. Now she's starting to have symptoms of depression. She has lack of motivation. Well, let me tell you, any woman who loses her testosterone will not be motivated, will be fatigued and will not have a libido. It's, um, I always joke. It's like the real way that birth control works is it tanks your libido so hard, that you end up, um, You end up not wanting to have sex so you know testosterone dips nutrients get depleted the brain starts getting affected now a woman has depression now she's being given an ssri or you know another um you know type of mood altering medication so now she's on the birth control pill proton pump inhibitor mood altering medication all of these things are impacting her thyroid now she ends up with the diagnosis of hypothyroidism she's put on a thyroid medication but you know the root cause is not being addressed to that she's having issues of absorbing that medication. The medication dose is going up and up and up. Now that medication is pushing too hard on the adrenal glands. So she's feeling fatigued despite that. And, you know, she's having trouble concentrating. Now we can see that her doctor's like, well, this might be ADHD. Let's get you on some Ritalin. And it really is a slippery slope in that way. And I have seen patients where, so, you know, in my medical practice, when women come to see me, we do a timeline. And this is really born out of a functional medicine philosophy. And, you know, very much it's going through the timeline and trying to figure out what was the triggering event? Like, what was the moment that like basically, what was the straw that broke the camel's back? And so often when I go through these stories in this history with women, we find that yes, indeed, starting the birth control pill was the downfall of their health. And then we'll see medication after medication being brought in. And, you know, I, I had a patient who came to see me who was put on, she had a sleep medication, she had anti-anxiety medication, she had an antidepressant after being put on hormonal birth control, and she had chronic gut issues as well. And it was something that she had seen several doctors, my average patients seen like 10 to 12 doctors before they get to me. And everybody kept, you know, trying to fix her gut or give her another medication. And I was like, okay, so how's all that been working for you? And she's like, not very well. That's why I'm here. And we, you we worked with her first. We spent a good, like three to four months prepping her body. We got her off the birth control. And the next thing that happened is she forgot to take her sleep medication. She just fell asleep on her own. She actually first started forgetting about her anxiety medication because she wasn't having those symptoms there wasn't that sign that clue for her to take it and then she worked with her prescribing physician to taper off of that um, antidepressant and when it was all said and done she was off of every medication she felt amazing and you know she was able to conceive and have a baby and we you know it's something if you do if you're like so let me just say this if you're a woman coming off the pill and you're like i'm coming off to get pregnant you're gonna need to spend a good six months prepping your body for that and like you know i outlined a lot of this information on my website and in my book. I have a whole chapter that's based on libido and fertility because it's such a big concern for women. But nobody likes it when I say it, but I'm like, You're gonna have to spend a good six months because we need to shift your microbiome. We need to repair your gut. Your microbiome becomes baby's microbiome. We have to replenish your nutrient stores. I mean, I've had one baby, you've had six. We know it's the most nutrient-depleting time of your life is to be pregnant, but even more importantly, breastfeed. And so that's something that like I have I have long-term concerns for the women in my office of like you could roll into becoming pregnant. If you haven't replenished your nutrients and really fixed your gut and got your liver detox, like at the Minimum, you know, got that detox capacity up, you're going to be affected at pregnancy. Your baby's going to be affected. And, you know, odds are you're going to end up with the diagnosis of osteoporosis in like 20 to 30 years, depending on where you're at, just from, you know, just from the nutrients that have been depleted through your lifetime. Um, Does that all make sense? I know you you had one specific question and I just gave you like 20 different answers.
1: (laughs) No, I love that. That makes perfect sense. And I think the part that's so scary to me to think about as a mom who will have teenage daughters before too long is that for so many girls, this cascade that you just talked about is happening from essentially the time they start puberty. Because like you mentioned, this is not always prescribed as a contraceptive. Girls are given it for acne or for really bad cramps, which can be especially hard after a girl just starts her cycle. And that we're, instead of treating those things and actually looking at them as a human being and as a woman and finding out why are they having cramps or why are they getting acne and how can we address that... Like you said, we're masking the problem and then setting them up for this long term cascade. I think it's really like tragic to see that happening over and over. And I want to go a little deeper on something you just mentioned, which is that basically, I think a lot of people think, oh, I can just stop taking the pill and all that's going to go away and I can just get pregnant right away and my body will just get back to normal. But it doesn't sound like that's actually what happens in your work with patients or necessarily even what the studies say. Is that, am I getting that right?
2: You're totally right. And I wish I could say like, just stop it and everything will be better. But the reality is, is that, you know, for however long you were shutting down that communication between your brain and your ovaries, like it's going to take time to reset that. And what I find is a small percentage of women actually get back to ovulating right away. And a reason for this is exactly what you just spoke to is that we're medicating young women. So here's the deal. Menarche. The the first time you ever have your period, that's Menarche. That is when your brain and your ovaries are just beginning to communicate. It is not abnormal to have irregular periods at that time of your life because your brain and your ovaries are figuring out their rhythm. But what is very interesting is there's been experts doing research showing that you know the f- strength and the, the really strength of that connection takes over a decade to develop. So ladies, let that sink in. It takes so and I'll also say this, like at age 14, you start your period, let's say, well, your nervous system doesn't finish its maturation process until like age 25. And so your nervous system, your brain is controlling a lot of your endocrine system, your hormonal system. And so it's very important to keep that in mind that like If we come in and we intervene, and I think it's a great disservice not to ask why. Women deserve to know why their body is presenting these symptoms, and I'm I'm so passionate about that. In my book, I actually have like how to like what your period is telling you what ACOG has devel- uh, de- deemed the fifth vital sign so that you can troubleshoot what is going on and what these signs and symptoms really mean so that you don't feel like your only solution is the birth control pill. And, it, you know, so I just like to really frame it to women that like, look, if you did the pill like me for a decade, then the reality is, is that you're probably going to have to spend a good 10 months minimum really loving up your body. Does that mean that, oh, you're not going to feel good for 10 months? No. But I mean, we're talking years, uh, years of your life being medicated, having your reproductive system suppressed. We can, you know, it's something where it's like, okay, of course it makes sense. That's going to take some time. And You know, what I see clinically is the majority of women struggle when they come off of hormonal birth control, something I've termed post birth control syndrome, and like all syndromes in medicine, so a lot of people are um, familiar with irritable bowel syndrome. That can be diarrhea, constipation, alternating diarrhea, constipation, like, and there's actually all these subsets of IBS now, but you, you can have post-birth control syndrome and it can be a handful of symptoms. So maybe you're having an androgen rebound after you come off of the pill. So testosterone now goes high. You're having acne, oily skin and hair loss. So that might be the way you present. Or maybe your period goes missing altogether, something known as post-pill amenorrhea. And amenorrhea just means you've lost your period, which, you know, we know from the research can, you know, be up to three months. Uh, they, well, let me say it this way, actually, is that in the research, they say, if you were a regular menstruating female, so let's just use um, 28 days, if you are ever 28 days, then you started the pill, when you came off, come off, we expect it could take you three months to get your cycle back. If your period was irregular when you started it, we can expect it can take six months to come back. Now, medicine waits until six months to investigate it in women who had irregular periods. You know, my practice, I'm like, nope, come come month three. Well, if you're in my office, we're investigating right away. But if your period's been gone for three months or more, we need to investigate that right away. Like why? There is no watch and wait that's going to be magic here. And why would we just let a woman continue on, that maybe, like I said, it could be thyroid disease. It could be PCOS. It could be pill-induced PCOS, which is a phenomenon where you present like you have PCOS, but when you start digging into the lab work, you do not have PCOS, but you can develop that after coming off of hormonal birth control. And so, and then we can see other symptoms as well. So women can have the digestive symptoms coming up. They can have weird skin symptoms, rashes, being really reactionary to food. So food sensitivity is developing. And this is where it gets really confusing for doctors. And doctors also want to put it in a compartment. You're having gut symptoms. That's a gut problem, send you to the gastroenterologist like you're having hair loss problems okay that's a dermatology problem go send you over there and the reality is is that your body does not care how medicine wants to classify things your body does not care if medicine's like Great. You have a rheumatologist and an endocrinologist and a gastroenterologist. Your body is your body, and it's all connected. I love these specialists. I think that they're great to have, but I think it's also something important to recognize is that while they might be uh, really good with one system, that means they might be missing a lot of what's going on in in other systems in your body. Now, to your point about um, you know these things coming back like after you just come off birth control, one thing that like may not come back, and this is the heartbreaker, is your libido and in fact, there's been research studies, and we certainly need more that have shown that the hormonal birth control now it has a big impact on your liver, as I've already said in the, in a lot of ways, but it also alters your liver function at the genetic level so that it raises sex hormone binding globulin, so it sounds it's exactly what it sounds like. It binds sex hormones and it grabs onto excess estrogen and testosterone, which protects you when you're taking that synthetic estrogen but it's also going to grab on your testosterone which is why it gets used for PCOS a lot is because these women have excess androgens so higher levels of testosterone but the problem is is that when you bind that all up then you're going to you can drop a woman's libido and the research has been spent you know they're speculating that that doesn't just come back you know just because you stop the pill and in fact they the speculation has been that it may never return to a normal state because they've actually studied these women and found that their sex hormone binding globulin never drops to a state uh, a the level of women who were never on hormonal birth control. Now, what I will say to that is that you know, I've been working on this for a long time, developing protocols, learning a lot from my patients and you can get those levels down and you can get your libido back. It's something I outline in my book. And, um, you can also go to drbrighton.com slash PBCS diet, which is, um, you know, the liver supporting diet. It's like how to birth control detox on or off of it so that you can start loving up that liver and get your libido back. And it's, I, I have to like bring this up because women, especially like in, my practice, I get to have these one-on-one conversations where they're like, no, 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 I just want to fix my hormones, Dr. Brayton. Why are you talking about my liver and my gut? And I always say, if you don't start there, you stand no chance at fixing your sex hormones. And, you know, these binding proteins are some serious business. And, you know, I've heard doctors dismiss this. I've had doctors online, you know, write me and be like, what you're talking about, that's just not a real thing with these binding proteins. And I'm like, okay, do you know how they conduct conduct these clinical trials when they are testing a woman and the outcome of these hormones, they test these binding proteins. They know if she's lying, if she's not taking, if she's not taking the hormone, then her thyroid binding globulin, her sex hormone binding globulin, her cortisol binding globulin is not up. So did you just hear that? I'm talking about hormonal birth control causes you to bind estrogen, testosterone, cortisol, and thyroid. Like that's a really big deal. And This is how the researchers know that you're actually taking it because this happens in every single woman.
1: Wow. That is (laughs) staggering. Yeah. I didn't even understand the degree to which that was true, but that really is shocking. This podcast is sponsored by Thrive Market, a company I have personally loved for years and that continues to just get better and better. I use their free app, all the time to order my pantry staples, and to order products from companies that I love, and I always turn to their Thrive Market brand for even better discounts. Here's a tip. Use the app like you would use a shopping list. Add things as you think of them, or as you run out, or as you meal plan. Then, once you hit the threshold to get free shipping, your order will be ready to go. And here's another secret. Thrive often runs free gift with purchase offers just for members as a thank you. So keep an eye out for those and take advantage of ordering when it's something that you like. I usually choose to order on days when there's a gift I love, when I've already reached the free shipping threshold, and I've gotten some awesome free products over the years by doing this. You can find out more about all of these and get an extra discount if it's your first order by going to thrivemarket.com forward slash Katie. Again, that's
0: thrivemarket.com forward slash Katie. This podcast is brought to you by Juve red light therapy. I've written about red light therapy before and how it supports the body and even helps skin look more supple and youthful. Juve is part of my daily routine, and I love that during this relaxing 20-minute ritual, I'm getting a mood boost while supporting collagen and elastin production, improving fat metabolism, assisting with the body's detoxification reactions, and boosting cellular energy. Here's how it does all of that. Just like plants convert light energy into chemical energy via photosynthesis, our bodies have the ability to metabolize red and near-infrared light into a form of cellular energy, adenosine triphosphate, also called ATP, that's essential for restoring, repairing, energizing, and maintaining our bodies. I have and use a combination juve light, which has two wavelengths for double the benefits, 660 nanometers for red light and 850 nanometers for near infrared light. Both were chosen because the majority of the scientific literature centers on their benefits, and you can get them separately or together. The 660 nanometer range is better for collagen production and other skin benefits, while the 850 is better for deep tissue issues like muscle recovery, joint discomfort, that kind of stuff. They now have a Juve Go, which is just as powerful as the larger Juve devices, but it fits in the palm of your hand. This smaller, less expensive model can even travel with you for a quick collagen boost for your face or inflammation support in a sore joint. To learn more and get your own Juve Lite, Go to juve.com forward slash wellness mama, and they'll also send along a special gift. That's j o o v v dot forward slash wellness mama.
1: Even if we step back and ignore like the definite medical bias against women in medicine, I know that most studies they try to avoid studies on women because hormones make everything tricky and can make like the interactions of different medications variable at different times of the month. But if we ignore that, we've like created this culture where a period and a cycle are looked at as a bad thing. Like they're a negative thing. All the marketing about feminine products are all about how negative your period is. But if you take a step back from that mindset too, I feel like the disservices is we're ignoring some of the easiest health data we have access to. And it's like free lab test every month. So you touched on this earlier, but our cycle Unlike men, they're pretty like level all the time. Our cycle changes, I mean our hormones change daily throughout the month. And if we're aware of that and we're tracking it, it can actually be really valuable insight into our health long term. So I know for me, I've been tracking my cycle for about 13 years, and that was one of my early signs that something was going on with my thyroid, is my cycle changed and my body temperature was changing. And these things I was paying attention to we're changing. And if we just medicate our cycle versus pay attention to it, we lose that data that is like free lab testing every month. Um, But I'm curious from a medical side, if you can explain maybe some of the other things we can learn from our cycle.
2: Yes. So you you know, we've had these conversations, I am really big on women leveraging their data. And here's the deal, like you are walking around with data in your body, that no lab test or physical exam from your doctor can really get access to right we can't, we know hormones fluctuate throughout the entire day, throughout your entire cycle, and you certainly should be testing them. I think getting testing is one of the best ways to really understand where you're at. And because we can't you know, we, we also want to see your metabolites. So what are you doing with these hormones? But you know, we can't follow you around just drawing your blood all day, every day. That's ridiculous. And so, you know, um, the American college of, um, gynecology and obstetrics, um, they are obstetrics and gynecology flipping those ones. Um, they, they deemed in 2015, they said, you know, the menstrual cycle, the period, that's really the fifth vital sign. So vital signs what are those that's the way for your doctor to know that you're healthy and you're not going to die like your temperature your blood pressure how how are you breathing like are you you rapidly breathing are you shallow breathing these things provide really great insight and so your cycle is part of that as well so to me like if if we know that like this is such important data why are we medicating that away? Like, just like you said, like, that was one of your first signs to understand that your thyroid was being affected. And truly, thyroid disease, I will say, you know, by the time we diagnose it, it's already been brewing, like so many things, it's already been brewing for a while there. And, you know, with that, it's really paying attention to your body and knowing what's normal and what's not normal for you, I think is really important. So when patients come into my office, I hand them a journal right away. So they've got to be a partner in the relationship. And I explain to them, like, I need you tracking your data, because I need to understand what's happening throughout your menstrual cycle. And that can tell us so much about what's happening with your hormones. So in terms of data, what data points should you be tracking? Well, number one that every doctor should be walking or uh, walk, uh, asking—I was going to say—if they don't ask this, you should walk out. Um, <laughs> so, um, but is when was your last menstrual period? So LMP is what we call it in medicine. So, what day did that start? we want to know that every month. Now, day one is the first day you have a flow. If you are, but I tell my patients, like, look, if you're spotting, you're having brown discharge, I want you to record that as well. And the other thing too, is that sometimes it starts with spotting. Then the woman's like, Oh, this isn't really my period. Then that evening, the flow starts like that was your day one. So but knowing that, are you spotting? Does it start with brown discharge? Like if you're having brown discharge or brownish black discharge, um, that's oxidized blood. That might be that your progesterone was too low or your uterine contractions were inefficient like that's important data to have so first day of your period cycle day one to the next cycle day one that's what we want to count so we go day so on average we always use 28 days just so you know it's like a third of women have 28 day cycles so most important thing is your cycles are regular so, If it's 26 days, you know, if it's 35 days, but it's regular for you, then that's what's normal for you. If it's like, sometimes it's 25 days, sometimes it's 45 days, sometimes you go three months, like that's not normal. So that's good, good information to track as well. But so day one, and then when you, you count up the the last day of your cycle, that's going to be the total day. So if that's day 28, and then the next day, day one starts again. So we want to know, When did your period start? What's the length of your cycle? And then how long do you bleed for? And this is really important data to have as well. So are you bleeding for less than three days? You may not have enough estrogen. Are you bleeding for more than seven days? Like you might be iron deficiency, like have iron deficiency anemia. You might have thyroid disease. You might have, um, you know, uh, some kind of uterine growth going on. So there are reasons for these symptoms to come up. And then we also want to know, like, when does your libido spike? So Typically, libido comes up. So, this is a very important thing for women to understand. You should not be in the mood every single day out of the month. Now, a male partner may be because his hormones aren't as cool as our hormones. <laughs> I, I have two boys in my life. I love them, but um, women have superpowers with their hormones, and so you know you're you're most going to be in the mood leading up to ovulation. That's a good thing to pay attention to. It's also a time when women typically like that have testosterone driven uh, acne, they might see some acne developing. So I'm in the mood. I'm also feeling like really on my game and really motivated, but I have some acne as well. That's all pointing towards testosterone. And then, when do you ovulate? It's not day fourteen for all of us. So, you know, in, in medicine and just in communication, right? We use these kind of generalizations and averages to be able to communicate and have a common ground for communication. But just know that there's nothing wrong with you if you don't have a 28 day cycle or you don't ovulate on day fourteen. Some women ovulate as early as day ten. Some ovulate later, like day 18, day 20. So. We want to be tracking the symptoms leading up to that. Do a fertile cervical mucus. You can check the position of your cervix. Not a lot of women like to do that one because cervical. I mean, it's just way easier to be like, um, "Is there goop in my panties?" Yes. Um, which I also say. Um, why I use that term goop is because so many of my patients who have been medicated with hormonal birth control since they started their period, you know, they get to my office and here they are in their 30s now. And, um, they always like, I have 30 year olds and 40 year olds that call my office freaking out and they're like, Oh my gosh there's goop in my underwear, something's wrong. I think I have an infection. And I always, I'm like, congratulations, you ovulated. And they're like, how have I never seen this in my life? I'm like, cause you haven't been ovulating. Like it's, it's, you know, a very normal thing to have occur. And it's not something to be ashamed of. Nothing about what your body does should you ever feel shame about. And if you ever are working with a provider that makes you feel shamed, don't yell at them. Be, instead, just be like, okay, so you're making me feel ashamed of a very natural process because odds are that's something about their own issues and nothing about you. And I think that We're seeing more of this conversation shift, but it needs to. I'm an impatient person with this in this regard where I'm like, we need to stop shaming women for things that are totally natural. Now, the other thing you want to track in your cycle is that as you go into the two weeks leading up to your period, so after ovulation, then we want to be looking at what kind of symptoms do you have come up. And if we're going to have PMS, most women, it's going to be anywhere from three to seven days before their period. So. Are you moody? Do you like scream at people? Because that happens if you don't have enough progesterone. That's not you. That is that is definitely not you. That's your progesterone. Um, you know, are you breaking out? Do you have acne? Are you super fatigued? Are you having cravings like crazy? Are your breasts so sore you can't walk downstairs? Um, you know, these kinds of symptoms tell us a lot about what is going on in your body. And it's never your body betraying you. It is 100% your body saying, "I need some help here. Let's work." together on this so that we can we can heal and resolve these things and then as you get through to the end of your cycle your hormones are going to drop so they should drop this is normal um, and that's what triggers the bleed. So that's what triggers the endometrial, the lining of your uterus to shed. And that is also a very common time to see hormonal headaches. And that can tell us a lot about the shifts of estrogen and how it's affecting you. Also before ovulation is a common time to see headaches as well, because you, um, you spike your estrogen and your luteinizing hormone in order to trigger ovulation. And so your body might be overshooting things. So just to kind of explain the whole menstrual cycle in medicine, we break it into three phases. And we've got the initial follicular phase, we've got the ovulation phase, which is only about a day. So you're not pregnant, you're not pregnant, the whole cycle, ladies. And then we've got the luteal phase, which is the second half of the cycle. Now, in the follicular phase, like sometimes you'll hear people talking about how there's Four different phases, and that like your menstrual cycle is a week of its own, a whole different phase. But you know, I, I caution women on using that language because it's always my goal that you can have a conversation with your doctor to get the right kind of help. But you know, if you tell your doctor, like, you know, that in my menstrual phase, and then when I went into my follicular phase, they're going to be very confused. They're going to be like, it's all the follicular phase. And the reason is, is because the menstrual cycle included in the follicular phase is really because even though you're probably still bleeding on day three, you You are ramping up your estrogen and your follicle stimulating hormone and the aim of that phase is to get an egg mature and ready to ovulate then we go into ovulation lh and estradiol or estrogen is going to spike and you're going to release an egg that's about a 24-hour event and then you're going to roll into the luteal phase and why ovulation is so important whether or not you want to have a baby is that when you ovulate what's left behind is the corpus luteum and that is going to secrete your progesterone and estrogen is your main diva in the follicular phase and then progesterone estrogen is your main diva in the luteal phase but it's really it's that lack of ovulation or other things that can lead to estrogen dominance that can make you know PMS and periods so unbearable that drive women to wanting to get on a medication and that's why I'm really passionate about educating women what they can learn from their menstrual cycle and how to leverage that data because you know, most of the time for a lot of the period problems that we have, like making diet lifestyle shifts and bringing in the right kind of supplements can really solve a lot of those issues. And then, you know, there's the um, other issues that can be, you know, due to like uterine polyps, endometriosis, PCOS, where you're going to need a doctor and you're going to need advanced support.
1: I think that's so important. And I think um, I'd love if you could touch from a doctor's perspective on a few of those conditions really briefly just to give women hope that there are other things you can do that are actually effective because I think so many women turn to birth control as a way to alleviate those symptoms because let's face it, things like endometriosis and PCOS and irregular periods are really uncomfortable things. And at least the pill is offered to them as a potential solution for that. So can you just touch on what? how do you address things like irregular period, PCOS, and endometriosis when someone comes to your clinic?
2: Yeah, so you know, it doesn't really matter what condition you have. um, Really, none blood sugar balance all the way. (laughs) So that is one thing that I will say is that, you know, a really healthy diet goes a long way. What do I mean when I say a really healthy diet? I mean, Eating plenty of vegetables, getting fibrous vegetables in, leafy greens, cruciferous vegetables, those are going to aid in liver detox, they're going to feed the good microbiota in the gut, which play, they play a huge role in our hormonal health, and then tending to blood sugar uh, issues. So, you know, PCOS, certainly something that can be driven by, you know, blood sugar imbalance and you're kind of predisposed to that. But you know, some women can present with PCOS-like symptoms because they are they've got poor blood sugar management. So their adrenal glands are kicking out all this DHEA, which then gets converted into testosterone. And so they look like they have PCOS when reality comes down to their blood sugar. And so we know, so no matter what your condition, and I'll just say, like, I know it's not the sexy, fun stuff to be like, you got to eat right, but you do. Um, And I think instead we should be reframing it as like, you've got a lot of power in what you put at the end of your fork. So minimizing toxin exposure is a big one and I think a really great place to start is choosing organic as often as possible environmental working group um, they have the clean 15 dirty dozen so if you've got to do it on a budget I think that's an excellent resource to use so you know limiting those environmental toxins why do we need to do that as a woman because they they hate on your hormones and <laughs> so they mimic your hormones actually and they can be you know stimulating and triggering different conditions in women and as women and we're really susceptible because we've got all these receptors for um, estrogen set up in the body, and these these what are called xenoestrogens. Um, these environmental toxins can grab onto those receptors. So. Food is always the foundation of what I start with. You know, my am backgrounds in nutritional biochemistry. So I'm a super big nerd who knows the science of how food is absolutely a 100% medicine. So, you know, with that, eating a low inflammatory diet, so rich in omega-3s, including um, your leafy green vegetables, and then making sure that you're eating fat and protein with your meals so that you can balance your blood sugar. Now, you know, and then eat regular meals, for sure. Don't be uh, just skipping meals um, if you're, if that doesn't work for your body. And why I say that is because like, you know, if your adrenals are just taxed and totally, you know, uh, you've got HPA dysregulation. So basically brain and adrenal glands, they're not wanting to talk so well to each other and you're misfiring cortisol. You know, you might not be in a good position to be doing um, intermittent fasting or doing, you know, you and I have talked um, before in person about um, doing water fast and I, the I mean, there's great science behind all of that. I practice intermittent fasting. Um, It really does have tremendous benefits, but it just depends on where you are at. And so if you're having major hormonal chaos, then you probably do better to be eating regular meals. And that doesn't mean that like you are somebody that has to be eating every two to three hours. That's not necessarily the case, but it's more of like, how do you structure your meals on that? And I also want to speak to like if you're a woman with PCOS, you have you have different needs um, in terms of that. So, you know, a woman with PCOS might not do so well just to start her day with protein alone because the effects on insulin. And so this is where I think working with a provider that can really test and dial in where you're at can have tremendous benefit. So when it comes to. So, you know, when you say like, okay, we've got PCOS endometriosis, you've been diagnosed, so you have a diagnosis, but if you have a regular period, you might not have a diagnosis. So, you know, check what's going on, you got to do lab testing, you know, depending on, you know, if you're, if you are able, if you have your period and able to get a lab test on day three. You can test follicle stimulating hormone and estradiol to understand how ovaries and brain are communicating. And then you can count from when you estimate ovulation to be, if it's a 28 day cycle, we usually say day 19 through 22 or You can count from your ovulation about five to seven days out and test your progesterone. I typically like to do progesterone and estrogen at the same time so you can see if there is estrogen dominance um, going on or taking place. And if you're having irregular periods, check your thyroid. Oh my gosh, like so many women have thyroid disorders. And it's something, this is like one of those, one of the many things in women's medicine where we're like always told our labs are normal. And I just laugh. I'm like, yeah. The lab reference range that was set on a sick elderly population is normal for a thirty something year old like tell me something tell me something true here <laughs> so um, you need a full panel you need tsh free t three free t four and and TPO and thyroglobulin antibodies at the minimum, so those are like the minimum uh, screening panel to really understand. What is going on there? And I also think looking at your adrenal glands and looking at what is your cortisol rhythm throughout the day, not just, you know, conventional medicine likes to do an ACTH, which is a brain hormone, the brain signals to the adrenal glands. And then they also test how the adrenal glands respond with cortisol at that. And that's usually at 8 a.m. in the morning. Now, with endometriosis, women really need to have a healthcare team around them. So we um, need a whole lot more research in endometriosis. I think every woman with endo knows this to be true. And every doctor who works with window- women in- with this condition know it as well. And it's a very underserved population. But with endometriosis, it's looking more and more every day like it's an autoimmune disease with a, you know, environmental toxin, uh, c- component to it. And so when I work with women with endometriosis, um, you know, depending on the progression of the disease, we make sure we have a top surgeon on board because if the adhesions have progressed to the point where, you know, it's causing severe pain, and then surgery is going to be, you know, something that's likely, uh, you know, likely going to need to be a treatment. But we're also working with, you know, mind ab- abdominal massage practitioners. We're making sure that we're addressing the full systems. Um, so looking at the full system of the gut, deep capacity, what's growing in the gut. Um, and then looking at the mind body aspect of it as well. So endometriosis, I, you know, you can heal from it. And I have patients with endometriosis after, you know, it's it takes time. It's taken, you know, years of working with me who are medication-free and symptom-free, which is pretty remarkable given that, you know, the, with that diagnosis, most women are told that it's going to be impossible. But I just really want to speak to the fact that you're going to need a healthcare team in that because it's never going to be enough with endometriosis to work with just one provider. And I think another provider that's really important in endometriosis or for any woman who feels that she is debilitated or at the mercy of her condition or hormone symptoms isn't having a good psychologist talk therapist counselor like somebody that can help you process the emotions around that it's an area that's often overlooked in women's medicine and i think it's an absolutely essential piece of healing your body
1: that's such a great point. And I know that we have flown through our time. I think we will have to do more episodes in the future because you have so much knowledge. But I also know that we have like come down hard on birth control. And I'd love to end with practical wisdom for people who maybe are on birth control or have ever been on birth control and are just now hearing some of this information. Obviously, your book is an amazing place to start, and that will be in the show notes. But um, can we just kind of start to wrap up with that um, message of practicality and what can women do if they're just now learning this?
2: Yes. So number one is get yourself on a good prenatal or multivitamin. No, a prenatal will not make you pregnant. I always get that question. If I start prenatal, will I get pregnant? Well, um, if you're having unprotected sex, possibly. Um, but the th- reason is, is you've got to replenish those nutrients. So that's number one. And you know I am a really big advocate for like, if women got to do the pill, then let's take care of them and meet them where they're at. So replenishing nutrients, definite thing. Uh taking care of your liver. So if you stay on hormonal birth control, I recommend doing a liver detox every three to four months while you're on it. And that might sound like a lot, but it really isn't. When you step back and think, okay, this is gonna be two weeks. I, I outline this all in my book, but I also um have like a quick start guide for that, which is Dr. Brighton slash PBCS diet, post birth control syndrome diet, and it's a way of eating plus um, physician grade supplements that can really help replenish nutrient stores, but also has support that liver detox capacity. Because a lot of the side effects and symptoms that women experience with hormonal birth control, they they can be re, you know really. Uh, I, I don't want to say they can be reversed completely while you're on it because it's kind of an uphill battle, but you really can mitigate some of those side effects by really taking care of your liver. I mean, it is a master organ in your body. And then other things that you can start doing is incorporating anti-inflammatories. So eating cold water fish, like you know, getting those omega three fatty acids, including turmeric in your diet. Of course, you can supplement with both of these things as well. I'm a fan of doing both, <laughs> bringing on the uh, the foods and then also adding the supplements on it. Because if you're on birth control and it's having all these effects, then you. You know, the, what I've seen is that you're going to need supplements on top of the diet and lifestyle changes because the reality is is that any medication that depletes nutrients you can't out diet it you can't eat enough to replenish those nutrient stores and as we are understanding more and more all the time is that we don't have the same nutrients in in our food that we once did so our food supply you know some of those nutrients are being depleted because of farming practices which is why the farmers are a really important part of healthcare conversations um so those are a couple of things that you can get started with and then Safeguarding your circadian rhythm, so I talk a lot about moon cycles and like how we are in tune. We sync with the moon, how to get in sync with the moon, and what does it all come down to as women, Our hormones are very susceptible to light exposure. light pollution is not being talked about enough in my opinion. um we need a lot more awareness around light pollution because we live in a time where most cities in most cities. Uh, in the United States, people cannot see the stars, and I grew up in the mountains, so that one just breaks my heart and pisses me off because there is no need for that business. But when you're exposed to all of this artificial light, that actually disrupts um, many hormones, including your melatonin. It can disrupt, you know, ovulation, and I, it's something that I'm like safeguard your circadian rhythm. When you when you're two hours before bed, avoid light exposure as much as possible. Get amber glasses. Go by candlelight your babies sleep better if you go by candlelight in the evening and this one I learned firsthand. Um and then sleeping in a completely dark room when you wake up wake up to sunlight not screen light don't pick up your phone. I know you want to pick up your phone. I I, I want you to check me out on Instagram but don't <laughs> don't do that. Instead go to the window and expose yourself to light Because if you can safeguard this circadian rhythm, it's one way to be training the brain and the rhythm of your body so that when you come off of hormonal birth control, you're much more successful. And if you're thinking about coming off of it, I tell women, so number one is if you're thinking about coming off of it and you don't want to be pregnant, best have a backup method. So make sure you know what you're going to use before you come off. Have a conversation with your doctor if it's going to be a medical device or, you Know, some other kind of contraceptive and at this at the same time prep your body if you had severe symptoms that drove you on to hormonal birth control give yourself a good three to four months of really taking care of your body to be able to transition off and mitigate those symptoms of post birth control syndrome and then certainly you know if you are on hormonal birth control you want to learn about what it's doing in your body how to take a deep dive into taking care of it you want to transition off or you've come off and you're struggling with post-birth control syndrome. That's what my book, Ditch the Pill, is aimed at supporting. And I, I held nothing back um to the point that like, I actually texted a mutual friend of ours, uh, Dr. Isabella Wentz, when I submitted my manuscript and I was like, I gave everything away and I feel so naked right now. And she's like, that's a good thing. It's a good thing you gave everything away. I'm like, yeah, but it's like that moment where you just like put it all out there and now you're like, it's all out into the world. Like, there it is. Like, what, what, What's gonna happen next? Um, so, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of information in there and um, it's something I'm, I'm really proud of because you know, medicine, women's medicine needs to change. It needed to change like yesterday. And what I did in this book is I took that medicine Medicine and I put it in uh, the women's hands, the women who need it most, because it's really my perspective that for each woman who heals her own body and changes her life, like that is one more step to changing medicine.
1: I agree completely. And I think that's what I love so much about your message is that it all goes back to putting those tools in women's hands and educating them and doing what medicine has not done throughout history, which is to treat women as cognizant human beings who are equal to men and understanding. And we can understand this and to give us the tools to really take ownership of that. Because at the end of the day, doctors are amazing and they can be great, but they're only a partner in our health. And we still have to take the responsibility ourselves day in and day out and actually make those changes. And I love that you encourage that and give women the tools to do that in your message. So Thank you so much, Jolene, for all of your work and for spending your most valuable asset, which is your time with us today. I love your work. I love all that you do. And I know you have posts on many of the topics we talked about. So those will be linked in the show notes at wellnessmama.fm. But where else can people find you if they want to stay in touch?
2: So you can find me at drbrayton.com. So you you, D-R-B-R-I-G-H-T-E-N. But I also hang out on Facebook and Instagram. So you can find me on Facebook at Dr. Brayton. And on Instagram is where I drop like major knowledge bombs on on the daily. And that's at Dr. Jolene Brayton. And so just know my name is tricky. It's just full of all the E's. Just put all the E's in there. You'll be good.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Thanks so much, Jolene.
2: Thank you so much. I really appreciate your audience, your message, and it's such an honor to be, you know, sharing and be a part of your community.
1: It's an honor always to have you here, and thanks to all of you for listening. and I hope to see you again on the next episode of the Wellness Mama Podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me?